And uh, as you know, we're starting a new series. For those of you that have been here for any amount of time, what we do is we do different series. We take some weeks and we discuss one topic. And we're at the beginning of this new series called Community. We want to look at what the church is all about. And I know for some of you, the way you were brought up and what you were taught about church has many different meanings to you. You know, for me as a kid, when I would think about church, I would think about sitting in a pew with my parents, and at the church we went to as I grew up, the first four pews had cushions. All the rest were wood. So if you got to church early, you got to sit on the cushioned seats. So guess what our family used to do? We got there early, which was more torture for me. I go, do we got to get there early? So then you'd sit. So I think I'm going to do that in our church. I'm going to put all the nice chairs in the front to move you guys a little more forward. I'm just teasing. And uh, so what happens here, you have all these different concepts about church. Many people think of church as the place you go to. It's this building that you go to. And I want to show you through the Word of God, and what we're going to specifically look at, is we're going to go through the book of Ephesians that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And he explains as you go through these chapters six chapters in Ephesians, you're going to see what the church really is and how God wants you to be part of it. It's so much more than just coming to a building once a week. For me as a child, it was coming to this place once a week that we sat for exactly 58 minutes. You were told when to sit, you were told when to stand, and in the bulletin, it told you when you spoke, when the pastor spoke, it was down to a T. Some of you are sitting here thinking, 58 minutes isn't bad. What church did you go to, Bard? Uh, doesn't work here that way. Uh, so, you know, you knew exactly what And for me, it was like, it was just boring. I just felt like church was this place you go to where you were bored and you'd listen to them and you fell asleep. You woke up 58 minutes later and then you, you went about your day and you lived your life the rest of the week. Let me just say something here as we start this morning. The church is so much bigger than that. And if I were to ask you this morning to define the church, many people would respond by saying, well, the church is this building or it's a religious denomination or it's a, a place where my, my parents went and, and thus I'm affiliated with because if my parents were this, then I'm supposed to be part of this denomination. So what we're going to do is over the next couple of months is we're going to define what the church is and how you fit into the church. And I, we're going to clear up a lot of confusion when it comes to the purpose and the function of the church. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take an in-depth study at the book of Ephesians because the Apostle Paul does a great job showing us and telling us what does it mean to be part of the church. So before we get into this, before we get into chapter 1 in Ephesians, I want to give you a little background of what Paul was dealing with as he's writing to this group of believers in Ephesus, which was in Asia Minor. There's a purpose for for Paul writing this letter. He wants to encourage the church there because he started the church there. And Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus as he's imprisoned in Rome. And the reason for his letter was simply to encourage this local body of believers that assembled in different parts of the city. And these churches were started by Paul. Paul witnessed to them a few uh, years earlier, and he wanted them to continue in their faith. 
and that the church would be the church that Christ called them to be. Now, I want you to understand something. You think back, well, that was 2,000 years ago. How can I relate to that church in Ephesus? The church in Ephesus is not much different than what we see here today in America. The, the church in Ephesus, Ephesus was this bustling city. It was the capital of the Roman province in Asia. It's now modern-day Turkey. This was a very pagan city, it heavily enriched and steeped in idolatry worship. So these believers had to really make a stand for Christ if they were gonna, if they were gonna stand up for him and truly follow the ways of the Lord. This, this city was steeped in the occult. Uh, it's mentioned in Acts 19.19 19, when the people who turned to Christ burned their magic art books and turned from the occult. This was a big deal. So these recipients... Uh, Paul is writing to them, he's writing to this community of believers on how to make a true stand for Christ and how to live within a culture that is very anti-Christ, that is very anti-Christian. And how can the church make an impact in the world? Do you realize that the church literally needs to be pressing against the gates of hell? It's not the other way around. The church needs to be the one that is on the offense the church of Jesus Christ needs to be the ones that are proactive, that are going into the world, that are changing the world around them for Jesus Christ. Okay, that was week 830 crowd. Come on. Amen. Okay, so here's the thing. When you leave our church property, what's the sign that you see when you leave? You are now good. You are now, and if you said, oh, there's a sign when you pull out this today, look for the sign. It's a beautiful sign. Fred Bacher did for us. It's beautiful. And so you look at it, it says, you are now entering your mission field. The church is not here. This is fun because we get together, right? This is like a pep rally. We get together, we get pumped up, we learn about God's word. But if the church stays here, we will die and shrivel up. The church is out there. We need to be the ones that are proactive, changing the world around us. So Paul is encouraging these believers, listen, it's a very powerful thing that you are a part of. And even though the culture around you is very ungodly and very pagan, stand firm in what you know and the power of the Lord, and you can change those that are around you. You can affect the world around you. Aren't you glad that there was somebody that you knew that you can remember that was a Christian that was a light in the place that you were? Whether it was in a school or whether it was in a job, there was somebody, and I thank God that there was somebody that was bold enough to be a witness for Jesus Christ at Eastman Kodak Company because it changed my dad's life. There was a guy I've shared the story that was a firm believer that lived out his testimony. And my dad noticed that this guy's life changed. He changed from used to, you know, just drinker and all this other stuff. And all of a sudden he comes into work one day and he's completely changed. My dad's like, what's up with you? What happened in your life? And he, he shared his testimony that Christ changed him. And he gave up all the stuff that he used to do that, that used to drag him down and, and Jesus changed his life and Jesus saved him from his sins and the guy was happy and joyful. My dad's like, well, man, I want what you got. And this guy prayed with my dad in Eastman Kodak. Oh, isn't that supposed to happen in the church? No, it happens out there. 
thank God that this guy didn't allow his light to be hidden under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine. This little light, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel? No! I'm going to let it shine. And this guy in Kodak let his light shine so that my dad could see it and, pr- and didn't, wasn't in, intimidated where he was. He didn't care where he was. He said, on whatever they were on a lunch hour or a break, he said, Barton, let me pray with you. You can do it too. And right there in Eastman Kodak, he prayed to receive Christ as his Lord and Savior. So Paul writes to the church. So what is the church? Well, the word comes from a Greek word that means ekklesia. And basically what it is, it's two words that literally means something. It's the word ek, which means out of, and klesis, which means to call. So literally the church means this, called out ones. The church, this is a great definition of the church. You're going to hear this for the next, you know, several weeks. The church is not a building. Look at your neighbor and say, not a building. Okay, listen, I'm going to rattle some cages right now. Okay, can I rattle you guys? All you ex-Catholic people, I'm going to rattle you right now, okay? I'm going to shake your Catholic cages a little bit here, okay? Let me just say this. And for me too, the way I was raised, there was something about the church that we thought, ooh, ooh, ah. When you walked into the church, all the angelic angels started singing, and we made the church, the building, such this sacred place. Now, we respect this place, yes. But this building is just brick and mortar, Okay, that's all it is. The church is you and I. Look at your neighbor and say, you're the church. Okay, so when we come together, we are called out of this world and we come together and we are the church. So guess what? Where two or three are gathered, wherever you are, whether it's in Eastman Kodak, my dad and that guy, guess what? There was a church in Kodak. Whether they sanctioned it or not, there was a church in Kodak. Somebody say amen. When somebody gets together in a school and they have a prayer group, which I had when I was in high school, and they allowed us to have a, have a Bible study in our school, guess what? Whether West Aronicoid School District wanted to recognize it or not, there was a church in my high school because we had 30 people gathered together praying for our school. There was the church, right? So it's not a building. So let's get, get off your little thing. Ooh, all of a sudden, you come and ooh, ah, and all this. We try to have all these relics around to make it more holy. Listen, you're the church. The Holy Spirit now dwells in you. You're the temple of God, okay? So just, I know for some of you, it's hard for you to get over that. But the church is called out ones. Now, here's the deal. So, so we understand the church is made up of individuals who have been called out of the world and now belong to the body of Christ. We're going to hear that over and over in the next couple of weeks. But here's the thing. Not everybody belongs to the church. Okay, just because you come to a place here, 
Just because you come to living word and you sat here for a couple Sundays doesn't mean you're part of the church any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger, okay? I mean, that, that right? Okay, so let, let's understand that just because you, you've identified yourself and you, you, you came here and, and you may even get involved in some ministries and stuff, that doesn't necessarily make you part of the church. The only way to be part of, of the body of Christ, the word of God tells us is we must be born again or we must be born from above. This doesn't, just because you went through some membership class or you were sprinkled as a baby or you went through some confirmation class when you were in eighth grade like I did too, that doesn't make you part of the church. Sorry, not necessarily. Sorry to burst some of your bubbles. See, sometimes we equate that, oh, I went through some religious classes or I did this as a baby, so now I'm attached to myself to the church and I'm okay. Not necessarily. The Word of God tells us that in order to be part of this church, we have to come out of something and be part of this. We have to come out of our old lives and our life of sin that we're all born into and we have to enter into this new life that God has created for us in Christ Jesus. So let's look at a couple scriptures here. If you've got your Bibles, you can take those out or look at your notes there. Or look at the screens. Here's a couple things. Here's Jesus speaking. Jesus said, you've got to be born again or born from above. John 3, 3, Jesus answered Nicodemus and said, truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is what? Born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So what does it mean to be born again. How can I be born again? I'm already born once. How can I be born again? He asked the same thing. And what Jesus is saying there, every person that's born is born into sin. We're born in spiritual darkness and we need to see again. And the only way we can do that is through Christ Jesus who forgives us of our sins, opens up our spiritual eyes that were once blind. And now we can see and we're forgiven of our sins. And we place our trust in Jesus Christ and he places his Holy Spirit within us and gives us a new life that can only happen through Christ Jesus by putting my faith in him and him alone. That doesn't come through how often you attend church or whether or not you went through some religious classes, which all those things are fine. But Jesus says, you must come to me and you must put your faith in me. I have to be the one that renews you. You cannot renew yourself. You can't make yourself better. No matter how hard you try, no matter how many good works you try to do, you will still be a sinner and outside the church of God unless you come through Christ and Christ alone. So Jesus says this later in the chapter 3. He says, for God so loved the world, we all know this verse, that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You know, we get that. Okay, everybody knows that verse. But listen, he goes on. And, and, and what Jesus will do is juxtapose those who know him and those who don't. So here it is. He says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But what? But in order that the world might be what? Saved through him. Saved from God's judgment. Saved from our sins. And he says, whoever believes in him, believes in Jesus, is not condemned any longer. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God 
who is Jesus. So the only way to be part of the church is to be part of Christ, and you have to put your belief in him. You can't mix it. You can't say, well, I want to believe this, and I want to believe this religious figure is good, and this religion is good. No, you can't do that. He says, only those who believe only in the Son of God, who is Christ Jesus, can be part of this church and obviously receive eternal life. So here's the big misconception. The big conception is this. By simply going to church makes me a Christian. It does not. It is easy for us to attach ourselves with a church and not to Christ. So the only way to be part of the church is just the opposite. You have to attach yourself to Christ first. The church didn't save you. Jesus saved you. Now be be careful here. Because many people, when they share their testimony, they attach it to where they were saved. Like for me, the first time I recognized Christ as my Lord and Savior was in a youth group in 1982. The youth pastor gave an appeal for those who wanted to, to become Christians and follow Christ and ask Christ to forgive them of their sins. I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit on my life. I raised my hand. I stood in front of these hundred other young people to, to receive Christ as my Savior. And the, 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 the mistake we can make is we can say, oh, I was saved at Bethel Full Gospel Church in 1982. No, I wasn't. That was the place where I was saved, but it was Christ who saved me, not the place. The place isn't what's special. What's special is Christ saved me. Christ can save you in your bedroom. You can be sit in your car and feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit come upon your life. And you're like, God, I give my life to you. I know that I'm a sinner and I need you as my savior. That can happen in Kodak. That can happen. I, I was able to lead a boy named Michael to the Lord in my high school. It can happen in the high school. It's not the place. It's Jesus. Capiche? So for those of you that are like, well, you know what? You know, why don't you come to church with me so you can listen to my pastor? No, you can do it right there as you're talking at the mailbox. So you know what? We can pray right now. You don't have to bring somebody necessarily to, to church. You in that world talking to your neighbor, talking at the water cooler, you can do it and you can because it's not the place. It's the person that saves. Amen. Okay, so, so the church is this vibrant thing that, that can be anywhere, and Christ is the one that saves. So only through Christ can we be part of the church, not the other way around. <clears throat> and we can separate, and, and, and we can't separate Christ from the church, which many are trying to do today by making up their own teachings that please people and not God. So the bottom line is the church is Jesus, and Jesus is the church. Okay, so what is the relationship here between Jesus and the church? I'm going to give you five examples here. Great book that I read called Vintage Church by Mark Driscoll and, and, and Jerry Brashears, and they do a great job bringing out the relationship between Christ and the church. And I've got those in your notes, and I just want to go over those real quickly because this is so important because you've got to understand this. If you're going to be part of the church, you've got to understand it all revolves around Christ and what he's done for us. So let's look at the couple things here. First of all, Jesus died. Here's the relation between Jesus and us, the body of Christ. Jesus died and rose to reconcile sinners to God as Christians and to come to one another as the church. And Paul says this later 
in Ephesians, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So here's the relationship with Jesus and us. Jesus died to reconcile us back to God, to make us Christians, and then thus be part of the body of Christ. Here's another reason why Jesus and the church, what relates to them uh, together. Jesus is the head or the preeminent authority over the church. So everything we do comes under his headship. Paul talks about this. He's rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way in him, in Christ, who is what? The head. Jesus is the authority over this church, over us, over Every believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus is the head or the authority, and we submit to him, and we submit to his word. Amen? Number three, Jesus' relationship to the church is Jesus is the apostle who plants a church. He's the apostle who plants the church. Remember, the apostles were sent out, those original apostles, to start churches, start local body of believers, not just buildings, but to start, because in the early church, they didn't have buildings to meet. They met in homes. They met wherever they could meet. At the beginning of, of, after the day of Pentecost, when the church was started, they met at the temple steps. They just met wherever they could meet as the body of Christ. And so Jesus is ultimately that apostle who starts the church. So these apostles that Jesus commissioned, they would go out and they would share the gospel message of Jesus Christ, how he changed his life. People were saved, and then these churches got started. Like in Ephesus, this book that, that this letter that Paul wrote to these churches in Ephesus, same thing. So Jesus is the one who plants the church. Jesus is the leader who builds the church. I like this. He says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build what? My church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Jesus is the leader who builds the church and we submit and we follow his leadership. And last, I like this one. Jesus is the senior pastor and the chief shepherd who rules the church. He's that chief senior pastor, chief shepherd. 1 Peter 5, 4 says, And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive an unfading crown of glory. The senior pastor of this church is not Barton Gerace, it's Jesus Christ. I work for him. He's the one that has the ultimate authority. He's the one that covers this uh, church. I submit to his authority. He's given me the leadership to, to, to lead this church, that, that we might follow Christ and know him. And through the teaching of God's word, we want to submit to his words. And that encompasses a lot of different things. That encompasses church discipline. That, that encompasses us, us reaching out to the world with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. This isn't our message this isn't our agenda. This is Jesus' agenda. He wants us to reach out. He wants us to reach out into all the world. This isn't about living word. This is about Jesus Christ. This isn't about living word's fame or glory. This is about Jesus Christ and his fame and his glory. Because he's the one that ultimately does the saving, right? It's not about personalities. It's about Christ. And who are we glorifying? Well, hopefully, we're glorifying Christ in this place that all men would be drawn unto him and that they would follow him. So my prayer for you 
as your pastor, under the senior pastorship of Jesus Christ, is that you would live for Christ every day in your life. That, that, that church wouldn't just be a once-a-week experience for you, that you would just come and sit for an hour and 15 minutes or an hour and a half a week, but that you would actually experience Christ every single day in your life. That you would read the Word of God on your own. That you would be growing on your own. That's my heartbeat for you because ultimately that's who you're following. It's Jesus. And you want to listen to Him, right? And you want to be guided by Him. Now God gives teachers and other people to help teach the Word, to help us understand it. That's wonderful. But the bottom line is you need to be growing and following Christ each and every day. I love hearing stories about how people are sharing their testimony, what, how God miraculously did something in your life and, and you saw God's hand move in your life in a certain way, in a particular way. Praise God for that. That's what we need to be doing and we need to be encouraging one another in those things. We need to be meeting with one another and encouraging each other uh, with the word of God so that we're growing and spurring each other on uh, to good work. So Jesus, that senior pastor, he's the one that, that, that rules here. So let's be very clear here. The church revolves around Christ, not the other way around. So to be part of the church, we have to be connected to the true Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus of our popular culture today. So we understand that Jesus is the Son of God, who is God, who was virgin born, who rose from the grave and conquered death, who is the second person of the Trinity, who came in flesh to rescue sinners from eternal death, who claim to be the only way to God. That is the Jesus I serve. That's the Jesus this local body serves. That's the Jesus of the true church, period. That's the Jesus of the Bible. Any other Jesus that you're giving is false or pseudo, and be careful, guard yourself against that. So how I become part of the church of Jesus Christ, how do I know for sure that I'm part of this body? that I'm part of the church, that I'm heaven-bound? How do I know for sure that I'm actually part of the body of Christ? And this is what I love. Paul explains this in the first chapter of Ephesians. And let me read it for you. It's not in your notes, but if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. I want to read this to you, the first chapter in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to look at starting in verse 7. And this is how we can know that we are truly part of the body of of Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul says. And, and listen to how many times he says, in him, in Christ, in him, in him. Not, not, not just a local body or the church building, but he says, in Christ, in him, in him. Listen to what he says here. I'll read for you. Start in verse 7. He says, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding, and he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be part, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we also were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word, the truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those 
who are God's possessions to the glory, to, to the praise of his glory. I love this little passage because what Paul begins to emphasize, he says, this is what it means to be part of the body of Christ. I want you to notice something. Paul tells his listeners four things that they receive from Christ and thus makes them part of the body of Christ or the church, the called out ones. And Paul uses the words in him to express what they received from Christ. And I want to look at them. Paul first says, in him, we have redemption through his blood. What does that mean? Well, the word redemption denotes someone who has been ransomed from slavery. We before Christ are literally slaves to sin and we could not pay the ransom note. We needed someone to deliver us. Jesus, who was perfect through his shed blood, through his sacrifice was the cost for our life. His death covered the cost of my debt to sin that I could never repay. The word of God says we have all fallen short of God's perfection or God's glory. There is no way in my strength or my goodness I could match God's holiness. We fail miserably. But the hope is this, that in Christ, being part of the church, God sent his son who was perfect to redeem us from the bonds of slavery of sin that I could never redeem myself from. Thank God. That's how much God loves you. If you've ever doubted God's love, you need to look into the eyes of Christ. You need to understand the person of Christ and what he's done for you because what you will see and hear there is God's grace, God's grace, God's grace. Even though we deserve death and we, we deserve to die, God's love for us was shown through Christ Jesus by giving his very life for you and I that you wouldn't have to die a death that was meant for us. Jesus did it for you. Amen? So that's the life that we have in Christ. In him, we have redemption through his sacrifice, through his, his death. Paul also says, in him... We find an inheritance. I love this. How many of you would just like to wake up one day and find a, a letter in your mailbox that said, you know, there was this aunt that you never knew about and she just left you an inheritance of $10 million. How many would get a little excited over that? Wouldn't you? Okay, none of you would? Okay, good. I'm the only one that would get excited over the inheritance. There, there's this inheritance that we find when we are part of the body of Christ, when we are in Christ, we find this inheritance. What this means is Jesus secures our future and without Christ, we have no hope. So through Christ Jesus, we have this inheritance of eternal life to forever live with God. For those that are outside of that, there's death and damnation. And so the only way that your future is secure is through Christ Jesus. Your future is not secure just because you came to living word a couple times. Your future is not secure just because maybe you had parents that were godly. 
Your, your future isn't secure just because maybe uh, when you were five years old, you're at a VBS and you said a couple words that you thought maybe you got saved. Let's be careful here. Your future is secure because you've trusted Christ Jesus with your whole heart and life. And you've asked him to become your Lord and Savior. That's how your future is secure. If we had to base our security of our future on on our good works, we'd all fail miserably, wouldn't we? Because you're going to wake up tomorrow morning and you're going to say something and you're going to do something that's ungodly or unbecoming of a Christian and you're going to fail and you're going to be like, man, this Christian stuff is just too hard. I just want to give up. It is hard. Whoever said that Christianity was easy, you punch him right in the throat. Because it's not. It's not. How many? It's not easy. It's hard because we live in a world. We live in a fallen world. We're constantly surrounded by sin. We're constantly surrounded by people that are just irritating. We're constantly surrounded by people that just can't drive. I mean, come on. It's just an irritating world that we live in. I got in trouble yesterday with my wife. I got to confess. I just, I've got a problem with driving. And I got a problem with bad drivers. I, I, this one, I'm going to give you a driving tip 101 that irritates me. When you're driving down the road and it's like 45 mile an hour speed limit, and then you got someone that makes a right hand turn, have you ever been behind someone that completely slams on their brakes and takes forever to make the right hand turn into where they're going? Am I the only one that that irritates at all? So, yeah. <laughs> Am I the only one? That, and then you're waiting behind him. You're like, make the turn. Please. Get in there. I don't got all day. Oh. Oh. Okay. I'm good now. We live in a fallen world, don't we? We're all, we're, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to get irritated with people. We're going to, so if it was based, if my inheritance was based on the way I acted every day, hello, <laughs> I'd be number one on the list of not getting into heaven, okay? So thank God for the inheritance that we have in Christ, that in Christ we can find forgiveness. It's in Christ that we find conviction for our attitudes and the things that are unbecoming, that we need to go to Christ to find forgiveness. It's in Christ that we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and our impatience and all that other stuff, that he cleanses us, right? It's in him. It's not me. It's not me, but trying to become a better person. It's all found in Christ. He's the one that cleanses me. He's the one that secures my future. And I I love what, what Paul says here. He says, in him we find our salvation. Not only do we find a redemption, inheritance, but we find our salvation. In Christ, we are saved from God's wrath, which he poured out on those, who do, on those who do not believe. And Christ took the wrath of God for us through his death on the cross. And so God provides our salvation through his grace and, and grace alone. And, and, and so Paul says here, the word of truth is the gospel message. Jesus is God. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus is the only way to God the Father. And the thing that activates our salvation is our belief in Christ Jesus. So in him, that's the only way we can find redemption. It's the only way we can find inheritance. It's the only way we can find our salvation and be part of the body of Christ. And lastly, what Paul says here in these verses, I love, he says, in him, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. I love this. You see, the Holy Spirit 
is what guarantees us of our future. It's, it's, a, it's a deposit that you put down. If you make a deposit to something or to someone, it means that you're guaranteeing payment of that thing. I'm putting a deposit down on this car or this thing because um, I, I later want to buy this. So this deposit is guaranteeing that you're going to receive this thing later, right? Well, the Holy Spirit, Paul says, is that same thing. When we come to Christ... And we submit to him. We confess him as Lord and Savior. God now fills us with his Holy Spirit. He does the work. And that, that's what gives us a new life. And so when you're filled with God's Holy Spirit, all of a sudden the things that you used to do, you feel kind of convicted about now, right? You feel convicted about those things because the Holy Spirit now lives within you. And God desires for the love, joy, and peace to be fruit from our life. That's, that's evidence of the Holy Spirit that now dwells within us. So there is a changed life when the Holy Spirit now comes in us. And so Paul says, this guarantees our future. The Holy Spirit is the seal of ownership. In fact, as Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians, some cults, that lived in Ephesus, what they would do is to seal their followers to their occultic practices and their pagan ritualistic practices. They would literally tattoo these people, claiming them to be their own. So they would literally tattoo them, a tattoo that represented their occultic sign to say, you are one of our own. Paul says, you know what God does? He tattoos you with the Holy Spirit. Didn't think you had a tattoo, did you? I don't have any, but I got the Holy Spirit. I will never get one ever, ever, ever because I'm just too chicken. But anyways, um, he, he seals us. And it's a mark of ownership that says you are my own guaranteeing of what is to come. So here's what Paul is saying. Unless you are in Christ unless you are redeemed by Christ and you found your salvation in Christ and you are filled with this Holy Spirit, these are the things that I may claim to you that you are now part of the body of Christ. Not just part of a local body here at Living Word, but part of a much larger body who has done the very same thing. Isn't it wonderful to be part of something? God wants you to be part of his kingdom. And many of you have been trying to become part of God's family, doing it the wrong way. And you've, you've lived very defeated lives because you've been going about it the wrong way. You haven't gone through Christ. You first say, well, first I've got to clean up my life. And then I've got to do, then I've got to get a suit. And then I've got to get nice shoes. And then I've then I, I got to stop doing this. And I've got to stop swearing. And I've got to stop drinking. I've got to stop doing, stop, 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 stop trying to do it yourself. In Christ, we find salvation. In Christ, we find the difference. See, what happens is many people have made church, church, the building, such a sanctimonious place that they feel like, I can't even enter the church because I'm such a sinner. Well, join the club. It's just like the guy said, well, you know, I'm not going to go to church because the church is full of hypocrites. Best to come on because we could use one more. I mean, it's just, it, we're, all, we're all hypocrites. We, we're all sinners, but we're saved by God's grace. It's in Christ 
that He changes us. So what happens when Christ lives within you and He seals you with His Holy Spirit? All of a sudden, the things that I do now are not becoming of Christ. And I want to change, not because I have to change to gain God's love or to gain God's uh, more of His love for me. It's not I want to please Him. Because I know these things are traps for me. I know these things drag me down. I know these things pull me away from God. Now I want to do the things that please God because Christ now lives in me. And His Holy Spirit lives in me. And I want to do things that glorify Christ. That's what it means to be part of the church. And then when we come together as the body of Christ, we come together as a bunch of messed up people with all different types of problems, right? Family issues, marriage issues, habits, and we all come together and we say, God, we fall on your grace and your mercy and I need your help. And I need other people to come beside me to pray for me, to give me strength. I mean, we... we we, we have a group that meets every other week called The Way Out, the Sylvester's Run. It's a great, great, great small group that meets at their house. And it's for people that just say, you know what, I'm messed up and I don't know how to get over some of these things and I just want to meet with a bunch of other people that have the same problems and issues and how can we find answers through the Word of God? Sign up for it the minute you leave today and go to that group. If you know you've got habits and stuff that you just can't overcome and you're struggling with and you want somebody to pray with you and you want a place that's safe that you can go and learn from the Word of God and how you can overcome those things, sign up for it. That we're, that's what we're here for, amen? If we all come to church and we just smell nice and look nice and pretend that we're all everything's perfect in our life, then this is just a social club. It's not the church. So we need to come together and say, you know what, I've got issues, I've got problems, and we're here to pray for them. I love our men's group that meets at 6.30 every Thursday. We've got 14, 15 guys that come together. We all got our problems, and we look into the Word of God, and we pray for each other. With all our struggles and things that we go through, it's liberating. It's powerful. Because that's the church. And we can encourage each other and say, listen, none of us are perfect, but Jesus is. And we're going to try to follow him and see what his word has to say so that we can encourage each other to be the people that God has called us to be. Amen? So in him, we find all these things. And let me just finish with this. I, I love this. I want to finish on an upbeat. So in Christ, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit is received when we turn in repentance and put our faith in Christ Jesus. But, but here's... I know those are four things or core characteristics of the body of Christ, but here's the bottom line. There is nothing you can do in your own strength to be part of the body of Christ. You just come by faith in Jesus Christ and put your hope and your security in him, and he will save you. When you confess your sins and you humble yourself before the Lord, he does all the work for you, amen? He's already done it for you. There's no more work that needs to be done. He already did it on the cross. The work is finished. You just have to come by faith and trust him and trust his grace. So, so Christ did everything for us. So let me just finish with this as we close. Here, here's what Jesus does. Here's what Jesus is. Here's what Jesus is in your life. And, and I, this, listen, I don't want you to identify with a church living word for your identity in Christ. I don't, I don't want you to identify to your past 
Well, pastor, you know, man, man, my past was so bad and all these things. And how can Christ even receive me because of all the garbage that I've done in my past? I mean, you don't even know. If I were to sit down with you, pastor, your hair would fall right out. Well, I've been pastoring for 21 years. There's really nothing I haven't heard. So try me. I like to hear it. Try me. There's nothing I haven't heard. But, but we look and we try to, we, we attach ourselves to our past and that becomes our identity now. And for many of us, it's very difficult to, to come out of that identity because we were told things that you were no good, you never amounted things, or all these sins, and I've got all this guilt and this condemnation in the past. I'm like, how can I be part of the church? Because, man, you come to church. And I actually heard somebody say this about our Tuesday night prayer meeting, that just, Ruth, it just made me mad. This is what somebody said about our Tuesday night. Well, isn't that for all the spiritual people? What? No! We come and we just pray. We don't, we're not going to make you give a 20-minute sermon on our prayer groups. On, we just come to pray. We want you to come and pray. We, we gather together, we pray. We, we, we spread out over the sanctuary, we pray. We pray for needs. We pray for what goes on on Sunday. And we just love to pray because I believe through prayer is how God moves and how he, how he does great things in our church. So you don't, you know, don't think that you've got to be, you know, have a couple stripes on your whatever military jacket like i gotta be a christian for five years or ten years in order to come to no just come if you've never prayed that's okay just come and we'll pray for you and just we'll show you this is what we do it's not a big deal we just love to come jesus wants us to come together and pray for the needs of the church and and outreach and so on and so forth so don't don't think that i've got to be somewhere in this level we're all at different levels and god knows that but pursue him with your whole heart. That's what God cares about. You've got to find your identity in him. Bottom line. Bottom line. You've got to find it. And so in Christ, I love this. Jesus is this for you and I. And I hope this helps all of you here today that you've identified with your job or identified with other things that's going to leave you empty after a while. And I'm going to explain this after I share these. But here it is. Jesus is this for us. He's our justification. The meaning here, he's the one that takes away our sin. I was guilty because of my sin. God now declares me not guilty. Jesus paid my guilt through his death. Not only does, does, uh, does God pronounce me not guilty any longer because of my sin, but he declares me righteous in Christ Jesus. So Jesus is our justification. He took away the guilt and the penalty that was over my head because of my sin. Jesus is our redeemer. He's bought us back. He's freed us from the shackles of sin and death. Jesus is, is our victor. So not only is our justification, he's our redeemer, but he's our victor. He conquered evil in the works of Satan through Christ, and we can now overcome our past. Jesus is now our comforter. Because the Bible says he was tempted in every way that we were without sin, he can sympathize with us in our trials. So he's our comforter now. He's our justifier. He's our redeemer. He's our victor. He's our comforter that we can go to and, and cast all our cares at his feet because he cares for us. Jesus is our example. He lived it out before us what it means to be a servant. He lived before us what it means to, to, to be loved and to face persecution. He's our example before us that we can follow and know that he's the right way. Follow the example of Christ. Jesus is our peace. Jesus brought us peace between God and us. He forgives us of our sins so we no longer have to live in fear 
of the future because he's our peace now. He's reconciled us to the right relationship with God. So I have a peace now that if I were to die tomorrow, I'm not really worried about death anymore because I know I'm going to be with Christ because he did everything for me and I've put my trust in him. He's our peace. He's our justification, our redeemer, our victor, our comfort, our example. He's our peace. And lastly, I love this. Jesus is your friend. You want a friend that sticks closer to the brother? It's Jesus. Jesus is our friend. He loves us. He did everything for us. We can go to Christ with anything. The Bible says literally cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. He's your friend today. He wants you to come to him with your problems and your needs. Can I just say this to you? When you humble yourself before God and you say, God, I've tried to do it my own way and I failed miserably. When you come to Christ and you humble yourself before him, God's grace literally lifts you up. Listen, when you do that, what it begins to do is not only change your own personal life, but the dynamics around your life begin to change. The dynamics of your marriage. So, so many people are, sit there and say, well, if my spouse would just change and not do that, then my boss would be this way. Those people would make right-hand turns a little bit quicker. My life would be so much easier. How many know? But guess who needs to change? And I got my wife looking at me saying, Barden, patience. Barden, patience. Stop it, Holy Spirit, okay? Just stop nagging me. But it's true. It's me that needs to change. So when God's grace humbles me and I humble myself before him, God listens. And then all of a sudden the dynamics around my life begin to change because I begin to see my relationships differently. I begin to see my job differently. I don't begin to see them through their eyes, how they all need to change. I begin to look through my own eyes saying, I need to change to become more like Christ. And I begin to identify with him and what he's done for me. My question to you is, are you part of the church? I'm not asking if you're part of living word. Are you part of the church? Where is your identity? I'm going to ask the band to come forward at this time. And I want to pray for you today. As we close today, I want to pray for you today. Because here's, I think here's the one struggling issue that most Christians have in their life. And it's identity. Because so many people identify with their jobs. So what begins to happen is if I lose my job, there goes my identity, right? Some people identify with their kids, right? My whole identity is wrapped up in my kids and, and how well my kids perform. Because if my kids perform well, then it makes me feel better. I know I struggle with that sometimes. I mean, I'm, I just, my kids are doing a sporting event and, and they're up at the plate or they're playing basketball and you want them to do so well because you just want to look at the other parents and say, that's my kid. Just made the three-pointer. Yeah. Oh, are you Wesley's dad? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Wesley's dad. And then when they do bad, you put your ball cap down. Like, that's not my kid, you know. You know, we, we want, because we want to find our identity in these things. The problem is this. When those things don't meet your requirements or when those things are pulled away from you, it will reveal 
what you truly care about, what you truly identify with. And that's a big problem in the church today because what we tend to do is we tend to identify with how many scriptures did I memorize? How often do I go to church? How often do I go to Sunday school? We, we identify with all these things, all these works to try to make myself feel better. Like, well, I'm this Christian and, and I didn't say these bad things and I didn't do these bad things. I'm doing, I, I'm, it's another check, you know, another check mark off my Christian list to do because I identify with these works in Christ and you're doing it the wrong way. Are you truly identifying with me? And a relationship, a personal relationship with me. Now, are any of those things wrong in themselves? No. But if I'm doing those to try to gain identity in myself. And it's difficult for us because we want to gain our identity from things to make ourselves feel better. Whether it's my success at my job or my hobby or whatever it is through my kids. And all of a sudden the kids leave the house and all of a sudden I'm just left with nothing. I'm like, well, there's our marriage. And then people end up getting divorced because they've identified with their kids and not with each other in a marriage relationship. People, we've got to be the church. If we're going to be the church that Christ has called us to be, you better find yourself in Christ because I will guarantee something will come along in your life that will rock your world, that will rock the foundation of your world, that will rock something. And what it will do is it will lay bare what you really trust and what you really believe in. And what I want to be as a believer in Christ is that I want to be bulletproof. I want to be bulletproof in Christ, that when the things shake around me, my identity is not placed in those things. My identity is not in my health. My identity is not in my marriage. My identity is not in all these things. My identity is in Christ and Him alone. So my security is found in Him and Him alone. Where is your security today? Is it in Christ? Is it in your job? Is it in your children, how successful they are? Do, you know, and, and watch yourself. I'm just saying, okay? Well, my son and daughter do this. Yeah, they're uh, yeah, blah, 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 blah. You know, and I, I hear people say it. I'm thinking in the back of my mind going, because mm-hmm, I do it too. Because we're trying to identify with that to make myself feel better. If you're going to be part of the body of Christ, you've got to identify with Christ. You've got to put your hope and him alone. And he will give you a security that a job or anybody else will never give you. Never give you. Your hope has to be found in Christ today. And so let's do this as we pray today. We're going to pray. We're going to sing. I'm going to open up the altars today for those of you that just want to come and pray and just seek the face of the Lord. Some of you here today, you're just... You, you do. You say, Pastor, you know, I'm just insecure about things and stuff. And I just, you know, I, I really, I need to seek the face of Christ in my life for my situations. You know, I need to seek the face of Christ for my family, that God changes my heart first, that I find my identity in him. You will not be able to minister to other people unless you're firm in your identity in Christ. Allow Christ to be the thing that's preeminent in your life over everything else. And you'll look at everything else with a new set of lenses. Amen. 
So we're going to sing today. We're going we're gonna to seek the face of the Lord. If you want to pray, you come to the altars, you pray, lay that thing, and don't leave this place without settling it with the Lord today, man. If you're here today and you've not come into the kingdom of God and you've not received Christ as Savior, you can do that. We're going to pray with you to do that. But you've got to find yourself in Christ today. Let's be the church, amen? Are you part of the church today? you got to be part of Christ. So let's stand and let's pray. And we're going to sing. And if you want to come and pray today, uh, the altars are open. And you just seek the face of the Lord today and let him touch your heart. Lord, we come before you today. And we need you, God. Lord, there's so many things that distract us today. And Lord, we're so easily can attach ourselves to things in the world that really don't matter. We try to find our identity in things that just don't really matter. We wonder why we keep searching and looking for things. We've got to find ourselves in Christ. We've got to be the church that you've called us to be, Lord. And I pray for everyone here today. Maybe there's some here today that are so bound by their past because of the mistakes they made that they just can't find themselves in Christ. I pray they'd find your forgiveness today. I pray for anyone here today that's not come to you yet, Christ, that they would confess you as Lord and Savior. You'd fill them with your Holy Spirit today. For those here today that just need a miracle in a situation in their family or in their personal life, Lord, whatever they're struggling with, they're struggling with their identity, Lord, I pray that they would seek your face and they would find their peace in you, that they would find their identity in you today, Jesus. So, Lord, touch every heart here today as we just seek your face now. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's worship him.
pray for every person here today they would find their strength in you lord we just need you today and lord i pray their identity wouldn't come from things wouldn't come from accomplishments wouldn't come from accolades but would come from christ as we seek your face and lord i pray for this series as we dig more into it that god we would be the church that you've called us to be but unless first christ is preeminent in our lives lord will not be the church that you desire us to be so, Lord, may it start with us here today. As Pastor Mike said last week, it starts with right relationships, God, and correcting those. And then today, Lord, it starts with finding our identity in Christ and Him alone to be part of that church. Lord, I pray that we would continue to seek your faith. You touch every heart here today, God. Encourage them today, Lord. Let them know who they are in Christ. They're not defined by their past any longer. But in Christ, we are a new creation. Behold, all things become new and may that be an encouragement to us today when we wake up tomorrow morning may you just encourage us through your holy spirit to say this is a new day and i'm going to lead you today and today's going to be a good day because you're my child so whatever may happen god it doesn't really matter because when we are in christ jesus we find our security and we find our hope and nothing can change that we thank you, Lord, that nothing separates from your love. So when we go in that, I pray a blessing over every home here today, over every individual, that you would encourage them today, Lord. Thank you for your word today, and we give you the glory. In Jesus' wonderful, wonderful, wonderful name. And everybody said, amen. Let's just give the Lord praise this morning. Thank him for his word. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Go in God's grace. Amen. Have a great day.